Hey Fred friends, this week I am very excited to introduce you to someone who I have followed on Instagram for a very long time and who I was very excited to interview for Fried the Burnout podcast. She is a licensed therapist and she talks about toxic positivity and how to have clear boundaries and how to have good conversations and what to say to people in times of support and what not to say and it just she blows me away almost every single day with her posts so I am thrilled to have Whitney Goodman on the show today and just before we get into that I wanted to remind you that I'm here for you I've had a couple of people reach out recently and ask me if I'm still taking new clients for coaching and new patients in the city and the answer is yes to both of those things so if you need some support and an acupuncturist in New York City I am your gal and if you are burnt out and looking for some support and looking to recover as fast as humanly possible I am once again your gal you can book a call with me for coaching at bit.ly forward slash call kate and i will be thrilled to chat with you about that and you can find on my website everything that you need in order to make your first acupuncture appointment if you're a new patient to me so i'll look forward to seeing you in either of those places and now let's get to whitney welcome to fried the burnout podcast Fried is the podcast for everyone who has ever felt burnout because of their job, relationship, or life. Kate Donovan, burnout expert, will interview a new guest each week who will share their burnout stories with all the gory details. Every episode will give you immediate action steps that you can take right now if you're feeling fried and crispy around the edges. Fried's main goals are to raise burnout awareness, kill the associated shame, and create a movement to end burnout culture. Hello, my fried friends. I am so thrilled today to be inviting someone on the podcast that I have been following on Instagram for, I honestly don't even know how long. I tried to scroll back in our messages to see when I shared the first post from her, and I'm pretty sure it was like 2017 or 16. So it's been a couple of years, and the thing that hits me most is that we are working on a lot of similar things and she still manages to say things and write things that hit me right in the gut and make me realize, oh, there's still a little something to unwind here. So I'm super, super, super grateful for Whitney Goodman today. Whitney is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Miami, Florida and owner of The Collaborative. She provides counseling to individuals and couples who want to have better relationships and heal from hurt in their past. Whitney, I'm so thrilled to have you today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's going to be fun. And I can't wait to see what comes out of this um, conversation. I start every episode by asking the guests to share their own version of a burnout story in their life. So if you want to jump into that, I will leave this space open. Feel free to take up as much of it as you would like that you need. And then we'll just go from there. Yeah, I think I experienced burnout really quickly, actually. Um, I had graduated from my master's program. I had been working for probably about a year and I got a new job as a therapist in like a residential hospital like setting. Um, And I remember pretty quickly into the job, like maybe six months in, I was feeling really defeated. I 
hated my job. <laughs> I was really short tempered, like with my boyfriend at the time, my, my now husband. Um, I just like wasn't sleeping very well. And I went to um, a supervisor that I had and I remember them being like, you're way too young to be burnt out. And at the time I was like, I don't, I guess I was like 25, 26. I was young. And that made me feel like, oh my gosh, so I'm in the wrong field. I thought I had just wasted all of this time going to graduate school, getting a supervisor, blah, blah, blah. And I really took it upon myself. I, I had this feeling of like failure for a good while um, and was blaming myself for that feeling. And I think I tried to fight against it. Um, I was also given a lot of advice of like, this is just what it's like at the beginning and you have to pay your dues and all that stuff that we hear, especially I think in like the helping professions. Um, so I stuck it out at that job for a while. I think I was there like two years, probably not feeling so great. Um, and then I decided to quit my job. My husband was finishing law school and I quit my job and we went and traveled in Asia for like a month. We just like left everything and went. And I realized that after I left the job, I really wasn't feeling bad anymore. <laughs> and um, I was like getting, you know, my mojo back. I was feeling good. I was sleeping. And so I, I realized that a lot of what I was experiencing was burnout around this work environment, not necessarily around my profession. Um, so I decided to stay in the fields. Um, I kept working part-time in a residential setting and went into private practice. And once I was in private practice, my life like totally changed in terms of what I was able to offer my clients how I was able to respect my own time and my own boundaries. And it was a wake up call for me that I think if I hadn't have made that shift, um, I might've left the field entirely, like just because of the interactions I had around burnout and how I felt about that being my responsibility. And now I have really strong boundaries around my work. I'm, I'm grateful that I've had the privilege and the ability to do that. Uh, I know that's, my story is not an option for a lot of people. And so I think I'm grateful that I was able to like make it work that way, but I never want to feel burnt out again. And so I think that's why no, it's the worst. Yeah. Really dedicated to making sure that I don't get my life into that zone again. Yeah. And I hear this really often on the podcast and I hear it really often with clients that there's this assumption that we must change our professions, that something must be wrong with the thing that we chose. And this was really hard for me because I followed my heart into being an acupuncturist. You know, I was, I, I did a master's degree in Chinese medicine. I took the degree with me and all of the things that I learned to Poland. I built a successful practice and I was thinking, I just spent full, a four year master's degree and a hundred thousand dollars which I was obviously still paying back, you know, because those things last forever. And I'm still spending all of this money on this education that I already got that I really love, but I feel awful. 
And it was crushing to me. It was so crushing to me to have that feeling, like you said, that feeling of failure and self-blame. But it turns out for you and it turns out for, it seems to fall into like a 50-50 split more or less, that people that can that can shift the way they are doing something and not the thing that they are doing and people that need to shift to the thing that they are doing because it was chosen for other people and not themselves. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. I think sometimes like the thing that we're doing is good and we love it. It's once we're forced to do that thing within a system that isn't operating in a way that is sustainable, Um, that to me is when burnout really comes up. And that happened for you because you were in a situation that you didn't have a lot of control over, right? You had bosses that weren't really listening and, you know, it wasn't great. But I want to ask you what you think about how entrepreneurs create a space that ends up burning them out. It's really easy as an entrepreneur to burn out. Um, and you're, it's nobody's fault, but your own usually in those circumstances that I think it comes back to like this feeling of I'm not doing enough. I need to achieve more um, perfectionism, whatever it is, like all these underlying beliefs that will make us overperform to an extent. And that's definitely a land that I can go to sometimes that you have to be really careful about like, why did I go into business for myself? Typically it's because we want more freedom, more time, more flexibility. And if you're creating a life where none of that can exist, I think it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And when you're in the helping professions, um, one of your Instagram posts from the beginning of, of this month, which currently it's May, but we won't be listening to this until um, about mid-July. But one of the posts that you did in the beginning of May says very simply, it's not your responsibility to carry other people's pain. And I think as a healer in the healing professions and the caring professions, it is really easy to create the time boundaries that you want. Not really easy, but you can create the time boundaries that you want, create the other sort of, you know, I'm only going to take calls at this time. I'm only going to write to emails at this time. I'm going to create the environment in my office so that it's feng shui and perfect and, and flows really nicely. But if you're seeing 20 to 60 people a week and you're taking the responsibility for their stuff, you're still going to burn out. Yeah. And that's a really hard boundary. I, I remember when I first started working as a therapist, I could feel what people were feeling like in my bones. It, it was like a really bizarre feeling that I would take it home. And if my spouse would want to like be close to me or like talk, like if he wanted to talk about his problems, I'd be like, oh no, 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 there is no room here for anything else. And I really thought that I had to live like that. Like it meant that I cared more or that I was involved and dedicated and it's just not true. Like you will be impacted by your clients. You will be impacted by their stories, but it doesn't mean that you need to carry it and let it be like at the front of your brain all day, every day. In fact, that doesn't help them at all. They, they don't even know that you're doing that. 
So let's get into that because you talk about this a lot, like somebody being the helper and somebody being the, the helpy or the project, or, you know, there's various ways that you put it when you talk about it. And this to me is the difference between the internal and the external boundaries, right? Because when you're a natural helper, you are overexerting. I call this an energy leak. You have this massive energy leak where you are spending an immense amount of your mental, emotional, sometimes even physical and spiritual energy to save someone from something that they are not actually even asking you for help for. Yeah. So can we, can we pull this apart for people so that they can really feel in their bones like when they do this, how they do this, and, and how they can shift this? Because I think this is key. This is a massive part of, of healing from burnout. Totally. So a lot of us that maybe have been conditioned to be this way or maybe born more as a more sensitive person, um, we might feel this pull to like help people, make them feel better, um, fix things for them. And it often feels good to be needed and to be asked for. And especially if you're good at helping people, like you're getting this constant reinforcement of that. And it can be like, I don't like to use the word addictive, but it can, can keep you like stuck in the cycle. And I think that's why a lot of us even get into the helping profession sometimes in the beginning, because we like how that feels. So there has to be this internal boundary around like, how much am I going to give to this person? How much do I have to give? And if I keep giving in this way, like, am I going to be able to help anybody else, including myself? And really learning like where those limits are, I think is so important. I feel like a lot of us don't know what it means to help ourselves because we assume that we are the helpers and therefore we don't need help. Totally. And that's a really difficult belief um, to kind of work through and to get over because if you believe that you have to help others and you're not worthy of help or of love, care, respect, whatever it is, it's very difficult to ask for it. And it can almost feel like a betrayal of that identity if I am going to appear like weak or like I need help and have to ask somebody for it. So I, you see a lot of like black and white stuff on social media, right? Of like, put yourself first or be a martyr and like lay down and do everything people want you to do. And I think that for those of us that feel like helpers, it's kind of about moving slowly to the middle. So how can I put myself first in a way that's even like, I am going to like take a shower tonight and I'm going to lock the door and I'm not going to let like my kids or my spouse interrupt me. Or if I hear the, a kid screaming, I'm not going to immediately get out and go help my spouse with them. Like finding ways that you can give people opportunities to step in and show up and do the job and take care of yourself. And these can be like really simple things. It doesn't need to be this, like, I'm going to just only care about myself. Yeah. And I think this is the thing that, that gets people. And so I teach a theory that's, that I call the knot and blah, blah, blah. There's a knot over your head and your job is to take care of your knot. And if when you abandon your knot to take care of other people's needs, your knot is falling and creating more trouble for the people around you. It's you're not actually helping is the very, the shortest version of a two hour. I like that. <laughs> it's the shortest version of a two hour workshop. Um, and I talk about this all the time because this was my biggest issue. 
And I give this example a lot on the podcast that people have heard it before, but I'm going to say it again. You know, we were still living in Prague at the time and my husband is Polish and he was working in the other room and he slammed his hand on the desk and swore in Polish. And I ran out to the living room from where I was and made sure the Wi-Fi was working. He didn't say anything about the Wi-Fi, right? So one of the things that I talk about a lot, like you just said, is creating space so that other people can handle situations without the assistance from me that they're not asking for. Trusting that other, especially adults, because children sometimes need our support, that's a totally different subject, but trusting that other adults can stand up for themselves, can take care of themselves, can handle their own emotional states, can move through anger in a way that is acceptable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of the things that ended up being important to me was learning to trust other adults. Absolutely. I, I think what you're saying about the Wi-Fi example is like such a perfect example of how we step in even when we haven't been asked to. And there's this thing of like, for some people, other people's negative emotions or their struggle can be really hard to sit with. And this is something that was really challenging for me and is still something I have to check in with. That when I hear someone else struggling, it's uncomfortable for me, so I want to fix it for them. And this is where we have to look at like, what's our motivation for helping? We want to believe that it's all like, good and nice and fun, but really, are we doing it because we don't want to suffer, because we want to feel good? And like you're saying, we rob the people that we really care about of these opportunities to learn and grow and expand, and it can get into this murky territory of codependency when we may want the people around us to rely on us because that gives us purpose. Again, value and worth, and it gives us something to hang the I'm sure that I am lovable tag on. Exactly. Yeah. This is my favorite thing to talk about. (laughs) I love this so much because this really was the crux of my burnout. I didn't burn out because of the environment that I was working in. Uh, The environment that I was living in had an effect on it, but the biggest part of my burnout was that when I'm standing in the line at the grocery store and I'm like, and I have, you know, 72 items, I'm really nervous that somebody with three items is going to get behind me because then I'm going to be questioning, should I let them go? Should I not let them go? Am I being a bad person if I don't create space for them? Do they have more rights than me because they have less stuff? And I go through this entire, not, not really so much anymore, but I, I would go through this entire internal struggle with myself, which like I said, I call an energy leak now that is just totally unnecessary, is not helping anybody. And I had to learn to trust that if that person that had three items wanted to move faster, they could A, ask me, B, go to a different line, C, go to self-checkout, like D, come back later. There's the only option for them isn't to be in front of me, right? So this is the thing that I, I want people to hear that it's not your job to constantly take care of everyone else's needs because when you do that you are abandoning yourself and you're you it's impossible for you to know in that place what your own desires needs and wants are so you can't meet them because you don't have enough energy present to even find out what they are did you know what you when you started your own practice 
was it easy for you to make decisions about what you wanted things to be, how you wanted things to be, how you wanted it to be decorated, et cetera? Was, were those decisions easy or did you have to sort of give yourself permission to make choices? So I am a extremely decisive person, almost to okay. a degree that it is like something I have to work on integrating support from other people um, that I think my manifestation of not wanting help is to that extreme of like, I will just not even ask for opinions. Like I'm like, this is what I'm doing, moving on. And I make decisions very quickly, (laughs) which can get you into trouble, you know, in its own right. So I'm working on kind of moving into the middle of like, how can I integrate more support and opinions from other people rather than only relying on myself? What does that look like for you? So even just in like small decisions of asking like, do you like this couch? I I have an issue with um, with wanting to like be right about things, I think. And so if I like something, I'm almost like, I like it. And I don't want somebody to tell me that they don't like it. So we're just going to go with there's only one opinion. Um, I'm trying to... The, the show Say Yes to the Dress. I'm always really, I can't watch it because I'm so stressed out when they come out and their friends and family are making these faces. I'm like, oh no, I can't do this. Which is probably why when I went wedding dress shopping, I only took one person with me. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't want all the opinions. Yeah, I wonder what, I wonder if there's a sort of like a universal area of good balance with that or or if it's like everything else and it's just like so so individual like it's it's yeah. good to be able to choose things without outside opinion but it's also be it's also good to be able to integrate outside opinion so where where do you think it's important to be able to do one versus the other i've never thought about this before i think it's in like the knowing of being able to tell when should I ask for outside opinions and when is this a decision that only I need to make? Mm. And then also, if you ask for an outside opinion, feeling like secure enough with yourself to say, do I want to integrate that or not? Because sometimes it's important to, and you might realize things from other people and say, oh, I agree with that, which I think is really different than saying, well, my sister told me I should pick this. My opinion is now out. And I have to go with that. Like just being able to have flexibility is important. Yeah. And I think that that's something that um, I had to learn in a big way, especially this past year. And I also have a hard time not, not being right. And so this was a, this boils down to, I'll say it differently. This boils down to, for me, getting to the point in my life where I understand on a deep level that I am lovable no matter what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what's underneath this for me. And so I'm going to get into this with you because I think that I will like what you have to say about it. (laughs) Fried friends, I have some very exciting news. The Bounce Back Ability Factor, the book that will help you to end burnout, gain resilience, and change the world 
is ready for pre-order at least on Kindle. So the paperback version will be available for purchase as of September 14th, but you can pre-order the Kindle version now and I really encourage you to do that. I am working on some bonuses that I can give you for pre-ordering and showing up and I'm really excited about them and you will need your confirmation of purchase to have access to the bonuses. Get excited, go pre-order the book, can't wait for you to get it. All right. I have a really big issue with a lot of things that are said on, on social media, um, especially around the sort of insistence on, you know, you've got to love yourself first and you must stay positive and find the silver lining. And, you know, all of these kind of, you call it toxic positivity in your posts, and I totally agree with it. I, in my personal life, in order to actually learn self-love, I had to accept outside love first. It didn't start with, I love myself and now I can accept it from you. It started with somebody taking the time to convince me that no matter how ugly, nasty, messy I got, no matter how dirty my insides are and my own opinion, no matter how much I'm judging myself, they will still love me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what is your take on, you know, you must love yourself first? I, I really don't like that quote. <laughs> I hate it. I, I don't like any of these like platitudes that are really black and white and sort of tell people this is what you have to do and there's no other way to get around it. Yeah. Um, with that one specifically, I think you're right that there are going to be people that may see our value when we're not able to see it ourselves. And sometimes that can be the defining moment that helps you like cross over to the other side. People also often confuse like love and like acceptance of any behavior, I think sometimes. And so somebody can love you and say like, you know, I'm not really going to allow you to interact with me in this way, but I still love you. And so the fact that you are in a place where you may not be able to have certain types of relationships because of whatever's going on in your life doesn't mean that you're unlovable. And so I think we have to like really create a lot of gray area um, in that. And, and the belief, like you're saying, the core is that everybody is lovable, right? Not all people are going to love you all the time, (laughs) (laughs) but everybody is lovable at their core. Yeah. And this was something that happened um, for me, exactly like you said, my closest friend and I had a very big disagreement. I definitely crossed the line. I said things that I should not have said. And she made a boundary and she said, I really didn't like that. You really hurt me. And I can't talk to you right now for a little Mm -hmm. while. And it took us about two weeks to get back to say, okay, it's time to have this conversation. So there was a boundary put in place and there was information from her side you crossed this boundary for me. It really hurt me. I didn't appreciate it. And then when we got back on the phone, the conversation turned into, you know, we have both hurt each other. I won't let you do this to me again, but it doesn't change the fact that I love you. Right. Exactly. Right. And that was a moment that changed everything. Yeah. And, and boundaries are a way of showing love, right? Like mm. if that person, you know, if your friend just allowed you to sort of operate in whatever way you wanted and continue to hurt them, that's not an act of love. 
No. You know, I think a boundary is a way of saying like, this is how I would appreciate if you interact with me. This is how I can have the strongest relationship with you. Yeah. And then there's something that another thing about the lovely world of social media that makes me crazy, especially in the world of boundaries. You have a post about it from April that I love because it's one of the most, it made it into my book because I I don't think that enough people are talking about this is when somebody is testing your boundaries, you, you wrote, here are a few things you can do. But the second thing that you wrote is give them time. Sometimes people need a minute to adjust to our new boundaries. This isn't always careless or malicious. You can have some empathy during the process. I call this give space for grace Mm -hmm. because you can set it. There's all this Instagram information that if you set a boundary and somebody doesn't listen, they're toxic and they need to be thrown away, which is just nuts. If you've been acting, you've allowed someone to act a certain way for five years. And then on a Tuesday, you decide that you want it to be different. They are allowed a reaction Mm -hmm. time to that. Absolutely. And it's, it's like I said, not always malicious. There are people who will forcibly say like, I'm not following that boundary. It's stupid. You know, and that is malicious. That's somebody who's not working to understand where you're coming from and they don't want to respect that boundary. But we also have situations like you're saying where you've interacted with somebody in a certain way for a very long time. And now they might be saying, oh wait, you know, people forget, they get used to things. Like we have to have a little bit of, of grace with people sometimes and not think that everybody who messes up with us is out to get us. Sometimes they are- trying to cause pain. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially with certain boundaries around, like, I know somebody that set a boundary around, like, I don't want you to call me after 10 o'clock. And then one time the person forgot and it's like, okay. Yeah. Maybe they didn't, they didn't pick up the phone and say like, I'm really going to like screw with them. (laughs) I didn't call after 10 o'clock. You know, it just happened. I'm going to wait until 10, 13 just to really get them. Yeah. And, and the best thing is, is let's say you ever violated somebody's boundary to take accountability for that and say, oh, I, you know, I forgot, or I was so emotional that I just reacted on my own, whatever it is, and say, I'm going to do a better job at paying attention to that next time. And that's a good sign of, of how you can tell, like, this person really has my boundaries in mind and they're thinking about it. I think one of the most difficult places for this to happen are places where you are setting a boundary where before the boundary was set, there was no verbal communication and there was an unspoken agreement about how things were going to go. So for instance, you are the mother in the household and for whatever reason, everyone decided and you participated in being the only one to ever unload the dishwasher. Now you want other people to take responsibility for it. You're saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. I take care of a million and five other things. And this is not on my job list anymore. I need you to do it on Tuesdays, you to do it on Thursdays. But it's been 17 years. Mm -hmm. It's going to take people a minute. I think it's especially hard with these unspoken agreements. Absolutely. And, and making sure that you give the boundaries like clearly is also important. I, I notice in my own work, like once I discovered boundaries and learned about them, I was like, oh, I'm going to go nuts on the boundaries. Like I'm going (laughs) to set them 
all throughout my life. And this is going to be the key to my salvation. And I went like way too hardcore with the boundaries. And I find that a lot of people do that. It's like you either, there's no boundaries or the boundaries are so strict that it's hard even for them to keep up with them. So like with your, you know, dishwasher example, that sounds like something that somebody might bring up in a moment of anger, right? Like I'm tired of doing the dishes, you're yelling about it and you expect people to like catch on to that boundary when it's easier to kind of get clear on what you want it to be, sit down with people and really explain, you know, even like the, if you feel comfortable, the rationale behind it of I'm tired, whatever it is that can help people get on board. And I had a conversation with a client years ago that she stopped and she said, yeah, but don't they know? And I said, oh no, of nobody course knows they anything. don't. <laughs> no, assume that nobody knows anything. No, nobody knows you guys. Listen, I, listen, if you haven't listened to anything else really clearly throughout the rest of this episode, <laughs> listen to this really clearly. Other people are not making assumptions about where your boundaries are or where they should be. They don't even notice that the dishwasher gets unloaded. It just, all of a sudden it's done and they don't think about the fact that somebody did it. It's not in our human nature to even do that. So if you need something like this to change in your life, you will need to schedule an intervention. <laughs> yeah, you have to be explicit about it. There's, if there's one thing I've learned as a therapist is that people spend the majority of their day thinking about themselves. Even us helpers are thinking about how we're going to do things for other people. And it comes back to like your grocery store example of, am I going to be a bad person you know, do they, what are they going to think of me? Should I let them in front of me? Like these are pretty egocentric thoughts, even though they're about helping somebody else. So really getting back to that of like, how often am I thinking about myself? Other people are probably doing that too, which means I should check in with them and ask like where they're at. Cause I don't know. Yeah. And it was something, this was something that um, became, when this became obvious to me, this was, you know, probably six or seven years ago, and I started noticing this, this pattern in myself, I started noticing that I don't check off the box or I don't notice when it's my husband that does things. Yeah. So I started to, I literally in my phone, in the, in the notes app, I started paying attention on purpose because <laughs> I was taking an, an, like the notes app and I was writing down everything that he was doing, everything that was getting done that I wasn't doing because in my mind at that time I was so burnt out and I was so focused on myself and my that egocentrism was so strong in me that I really wasn't noticing what anyone else was doing. So I made an effort on purpose to make a note and all of a sudden I noticed that the bed was getting made, the dog's um, you know, water bowl was filled every night before we went to bed. The stuff that was in the sink that doesn't go in the dishwasher was getting washed and there was all these things were happening that I hadn't noticed because I was so focused on being the helper and being the one who did and being the, that I, I completely, I had a hor like horse blinders on, you know? Exactly. And that's a great way to also like get outside of yourself and get outside of your own head. 
there, my supervisor used to always talk about this concept of like catch them being good. And it's a common mm -hmm. principle with kids. And I think you can apply it to your spouse or anybody you live with a hundred percent of looking out for like, how can I recognize when they're showing up for me and also tell them that I'm showing it or seeing it. So I love that you were putting that in your notes. I think that's a great strategy. Well, and it's sometimes helpful to go back and read it again, because the chances that that some of the unspoken agreements that we have are still being perpetuated are 150%. So, <laughs> so whenever I get into that mode, I will go back to those notes It's great in my notepad and just say, okay, these are not the things I'm taking care of. There's all these things happening in my life that I'm not taking care of. But because I did the laundry seven times in a row, I feel like I'm doing everything. Yep, exactly. So to, to catch yourself in those moments, I think, is, is really important. And I think that it's important to take one more go around about the fact that when you are a helper, it often is for you. Because I, I think that's going to be the most important thing that we cover here today. And it's something that I try to say in a million ways, but sometimes we need it in other people's words, through other people's filters, through other people's perspective. and so. How does that, maybe we'll go back to like how it gets created so that people can see themselves in it a little bit differently or a little bit easier. Yeah. So like how that belief gets created that, yeah. um, that people need to be a helper. Yeah. Sure. So I, I think this develops a lot in childhood, right? Where most of our, our idiosyncrasies develop. And I see it happening a lot more in young girls sometimes in young boys, if they're being socialized like to typical gender norms, you'll see that young girls are often told like to be nice, to be helpful, to be respectful. Um, look around at like your dinner table, who gets up to do the dishes? What did your parents ha say around cleaning? Like I know when I was growing up, I was the only one being asked, you know, to get up and my brother might have gone to the couch with my dad or something like that. These are all these norms that get perpetuated of like, we should be helpful. And it, it can start to grow when you realize that you get rewarded for being helpful or for being useful. So if you're the person that your friends call a lot, you know, when they're in distress, that feels good. Or if you're the person that everybody calls on in a crisis, it's like, okay, I've found my role. And you might even get messages of like, you're so good in a crisis. Um, you're always so helpful. What would we do without you? Like these statements that are like, oh my gosh, I have found my spot <laughs> in this family. And in order to not lose that, we continue to perpetuate these roles because we want to continue being rewarded and being valuable. I think for most helpers, for these types of people, you get to this point where you're like, oh my gosh, this isn't sustainable for me. I'm not going to be able to have my own life if I'm constantly taking care of everybody else's. And when that person realizes that, nine times out of 10, the people that are benefiting from their helping are going to freak out because they rely on that person to fill a certain role. And that further reinforces this idea that I need to be this person because people cannot survive without me. And the cycle just perpetuates until you're able to like fully step out and I think get through that painful period. 
This is um, in Chinese medicine, uh, especially in the face reading traditions, there is a belief that the coping mechanisms that you created as a child are energetically beneficial to you for a significant chunk of time. And between the ages of 35 and 45, they stop being energetically beneficial to you. They start costing you more then they're saving you. Mm -hmm. And so I have met quite a few people that burn out earlier. Um, but I find that that tends to be the age where we just start saying, I, I can't anymore. Very interesting. Yeah. And I, I think also something really interesting about that age is when it's when a lot of people also start to have their own family pressures. If they've decided to have children, get married, have moved up in a career, any of those things can really take over some of the reserves and you have less to give, you know, just behaviorally speaking, but that's really interesting. Yeah. So if you are at, at a, you know, at a place where you are, you know, you were always the person in the meeting to say that you would take on that extra piece of responsibility, but now you've got a six month old at home, those roles have to change. But a lot of times we try to push through that time because the, that's our role. So we try to keep that role and try to prove to everybody that even though I have this extra mountain of responsibility, I'm still going to show up this way. Yep. And, and that becomes like, I need to continue showing up this way for all these people in my life when there's just, you're only one human being. Like, I think <laughs> people see it as a failure, but I really want to put out there that like, it's humanly impossible to be all those things for that many people. You just, you won't be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I had one of, um, one of my clients last year, uh, I, I asked her to not meet up with friends for two months. I said, you could talk to them if you want, you know, but there was such a strong um, tendency towards being the savior mm. in all of those relationships that I was wondering what she would find out about herself and about her energy, not being in that position all the time. Sure. And after the first four weeks, she said, I don't think I ever want to talk to them again. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to a better place with this. But we do have to evaluate who you are in these friendships and decide who it is you'd like to be and which of these friendships will withstand that change. Some of them will, some of them won't. Absolutely. And also realizing like, I think sometimes the other side of like the helper dynamic gets a bad rap of like, oh, they're, yeah. I've heard so many names, energy vampires, whatever. Yeah. Else. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> and so you have to look at like that their dynamic, how they're interacting cannot exist without you also being there. And so both parties have to take responsibility for how they're showing up in the relationship. And if you stop constantly helping, saving, stepping in, whatever it is, is the other person going to learn to stand on their own and might their behavior have to change as well? And sometimes like you're saying, their behavior won't change and they're going to go find somebody else that they can continue this dynamic with. But I have seen a lot of times that they say, wow, I am capable you know, and I can do this. And the dynamic is actually really healthy. Yeah. I had this conversation with, um, I have a course online that's called manage your own energy and it's about finding all these energy leaks in your life, plugging them and then building energy internally through, you know, Qigong Chinese medicine type mm -hmm. exercises. And one of the people in the course was leaving a comment and it said, you know, but I'm like, what am I supposed to do when my friends are in pain and I want to help them out of it? 
I, and aren't I supposed to, to do that? And I said, well, not necessarily. And she said, well, what do I say instead? And I wrote to her, I said, you let them know that you believe in their resourcefulness in their ability to get through hard things in the strength of the person that they are, no matter how difficult this is, you believe that they have something within themselves or they understand where to ask for support in order to get through whatever it is they're going through. And she said, oh, that's going to be really hard. And I wrote back, but I really believe and see your ability and your resourcefulness (laughs) in order to be able to get through this problem. And she laughed and she said, ha, 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 I see what you did there. And I wrote back and I said, but how did you feel when you read it? And she said, really strong. And I said, exactly. Yeah, I love that because I think that's so much more helpful than doing something for somebody. It's It goes back to like the teach a man to fish, right? Like yeah. you, if you constantly do something for somebody else, they're never going to learn to do it on their own. And it's not about saying, oh, you'll be fine. Exactly. No. And, and I also hate those statements because sometimes things aren't fine and sometimes they're, they're yeah. really hard or they don't get better. They just get different. And so being able to sit with somebody in their distress is so powerful, it, which your example is, is that it's saying like, I know this is hard for you right now, but I believe in you and I'm going to be here. And I'm not going to try to push you out of this pain because it's scary for me. Yes. Especially when somebody doesn't have the ability to escape, you know, especially with like grief or these big losses, Yeah, you got to sit in it. And so when somebody can feel that you want them to get out of that space quickly because you don't like how it feels, it doesn't feel good for them. Yeah. I had a friend um, who, who lost a parent and I kept letting her know that I was around, but I didn't make a phone call. Mm -hmm. And about two months later, she called me and she totally broke down and she says, everything is terrible and I don't know what to do with my life and I'm lost. And, And she said, and I couldn't call you before because I knew that you would let me feel like this and I wasn't ready to. And I thought, this is why the work that we do is so important. Yeah, yeah. And then she was able to use the resource when it felt good for her and also have agency around making that choice. Right. Because I was not trying to force myself into her life and save her from herself. Exactly. Which I would have done most of my life. Let's be very clear about about that. Totally. Or even, even moved into this like ego space of why isn't she answering my calls she doesn't like me. She doesn't want me to help her. Like how many times have we had those thoughts when somebody doesn't accept our help because we're supposed to be so good at helping, you know, I'm a therapist and sometimes people really don't want to talk to me when they're upset. (laughs) (laughs) You have to let people choose. Yeah. And again, we go back to trusting that other adults will be able to use their internal and external resources in a way that will be beneficial to them without your input. Maybe with your presence, if that's what they're asking for. And maybe with your input, if that's what they're asking for. Right, I love that so much. Before we wrap up, I know that all of this talk around being a helper and having boundaries and all of that, that you have a course called Help for Helpers. Can you tell us about that, please? Because it's just so great. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I just launched this course, I think like two weeks ago. Um, it is a course specifically made for people who have stepped into that helper or fixer role. If you've identified really with any of the stuff that we've discussed during this episode, um, that's all in the course. I talk a lot about boundaries, how you ended up in this role, um, being an empath or a highly sensitive person, and then also just a lot of real like tools that you can use um, to start setting boundaries. There's worksheets, um, it's an audio and like video course, ton of different things. And you can find that um, on my store, which is linked in my Instagram bio. Yeah, and will be obviously um, a direct link to the course will be in the show notes as well. Cool, thank you. Yeah, no problem. All right, Whitney, this was, I just love sharing this space with you. I loved having you here and I'm so thrilled that we had this conversation. I really, really am so grateful. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your calm energy and your experiences and all of that. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This was fun. I liked it. Good. All right, Fried Fam. We are wrapping up another week of Fried the Burnout podcast with Whitney Goodman. And this was a really big one. So I kind of want you to go back and listen again at least once because there are some takeaways in here that are going to be really, really major. So if there's something that you listened to and you found in this show that you just went, oh shit, I want you to take that thought and I want you to put it in your Instagram stories and I want you to tag me and I want you to tag at sit with wit, which is Whitney Goldman Goodman's um, Instagram handle. And I want to continue this conversation with you because I think that this conversation is going to save a lot of people from burnout if we just keep having it and we just keep sharing our ver versions of how this story comes up. Um, we will make a really big difference in the world. So we are waiting for your engagement and for your conversation. And we can't wait to hear what you've got to say. Until next time. Fried friends, before you go, I just wanted to say that this episode was chock full of really in-depth ways that you can help yourself, that you can heal, that you can create boundaries, that you can up your self-care, create space for grace, avoid people-pleasing, stop with the toxic positivity. Whitney and I really covered a lot of ground here. So usually at the end of an episode, I remind you of something that you can get, a way that you can call me, something like that. And today, I'm just going to stop and say, after this episode, I would love for you to just give yourself a moment and decide which thing that you heard today was most impactful for you, was most important to you, so that you know where you can get some good work done and that you can focus on yourself and that you can help yourself and that you can start to make a shift. This was a really, really great episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I've already listened three times, so I'm sure I'll be coming back to it even once it is live and you guys are listening to it too. I can't wait to hear your feedback. Feel free to leave us a review, but really, I just want you to take some time uh, to process this today because it was a big one. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Ha 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 